0: Hi everybody, I'm Rogers Healy and welcome back to Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. And today I am with one of my heroes, one of my best friends, someone that I've looked up to my entire real estate career over two decades. Somebody that has been a Pied Piper for our city of Dallas, but really somebody who just embodies what you're supposed to do when you find success in sales, ironically in real estate. So today I have the honor Of having my friend Jack Gosnell on our podcast. Jack, thanks for coming. Thanks. Great
1: to be here. Roger. Yeah,
0: yeah, great to have you. Um, Jack and I met a few years back. I think it was just through um, kind of cold networking. I reached out to him and uh, became a fan, and we found out that we have some commonalities with stuff way beyond real estate, uh, obviously, music uh, being one of them. And uh, life kind of took a turn, and, and we became closer and closer friends. We're neighbors, and now I get to even work with Jack's son. And so, um, today we're going to talk to Jack about kind of his road to success, what he's done, how he has remained a leader, remained relevant, but also he's al- always just remained himself. So um, Jack, the floor is yours. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get to know you.
1: Very kind, Rob. I guess uh, I guess I moved to Dallas in 71 after being in the service and, uh, and was flailing trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I was a salesman. The stock market was in the ditch, and uh, I knew I couldn't bear to be an insurance salesman. So I decided real estate was the ticket, and I got an opportunity to interview with a great leader here in town, Henry Miller, and it was magic. It just He sold me with his sincerity and directness, and I took a job as his assistant for seven years.
0: So and back then, this was in the '70s in in real estate. What was Dallas like uh, back in this era?
1: '70s, it was it was actually booming along pretty well. You know, when you consider we do the best at divided six lane thoroughfares and shopping centers, and so we were blowing and going north to Oklahoma, and very little was happening in what was is now uptown. Hmm. which wasn't uptown then
0: so for a city like Dallas I always tell people that Dallas doesn't really have an identity uh, not necessarily in a bad way but if you're out of, if you're out of the country and you see someone that has an accent like they're from New York you're like okay that's a New Yorker or maybe somebody from Chicago or even LA but Dallas doesn't really have that but what, what's been the evolution in your mind of how Dallas has changed to where we have a little bit more of a pulse and a heartbeat and how you've been a part of that
1: well, it's been a slow transition, really. Initially, expected people to be in cowboy boots and riding horses downtown Yeah. when I moved here. And, and I think that's quickly dispelled because there were terrific leaders that led our city for generations um, trying to make downtown happen. But in fact, Roger, Dallas has not become a major entry city. A great portal city in the United States, and we've just been stepping on our own toes right and left.
0: Oh, geez! Well, it sounds like we're gonna all of a sudden be moving to Houston. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I don't
1: think it's any better. <laughs> well,
0: that's the next episode. So, in, in, in my world, my background, um, when I got into real estate, I was a residential real estate agent with the goal of becoming a luxury agent, and then it kind of evolved to where we do a little bit of everything. But Jack to me embodies what it's like to be a specialist, and people in real estate sales. Um, for the most part, the most successful ones are ones that know one part of real estate, they dominate it and they own it. And I think that with what you've done with retail is very unique because you have to go and have your pulse on business, but also on trends. So maybe talk about the marriage between the two and how you've been able to go and be yourself, be a good person and parlay that into business success.
1: Okay. First, I want to say that I didn't start out specializing in retail alone. Hmm. I started out Henry Miller had a theory that you either worked real estate in commercial horizontally and worked a product type or you worked vertically and you worked geographically. And he said that he really led me to believe in up to what is now uptown and downtown as being my area. So I started selling development land. I sold a lot of the land for buildings that went up and down McKinney Avenue. I did a lot of restaurant brokerage, which mostly came about during the S&L crisis. Hmm. Um, but, but I worked – his theory was you sell the land, you build a building, you lease the building. You lease the building several iterations until it's torn down and then you start over with the land again. And if you do that in a geographical area, you become the guy.
0: So you right? were the guy that kind of helped put uptown together. Well,
1: when they, anybody would come into uptown, they'd say, you know who who works this area And nobody else really was working that area. I had ninety signs in uptown in nineteen seventy eight. 90? And, yeah, and nobody else was working uptown.
0: And so, what was the change? What do you think actually was the reason that uptown became uptown? I mean, you think you're, you're. You know,
1: it was funny. The public improvement district, I was on the board of the public improvement district of that area, and we voted to make it uptown. And we first started out trying to name it Midtown Parks Association, then we tried to name it the Vineyard. Of all things, Really? and then finally somebody said, "Oh, let's just call it Uptown." Huh. And so we built those signs that are still on the ground today. Those leaning the, the metal beams. ones.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says Welcome Downtown. And Uptown.
1: the city recognized it. So it was just a, it was amazing the way it happened. Wow! But let me let me address your retail yeah. deal. I got into retail because Henry S. Miller was known for retail, and and I'm in, I say, specialty retail, and all specialty retail means is that you distinguish it from, in the old days, a general store, right? You uh, had a general store that sold everything, and then you had a little boutique or you had a small people shop. People
0: that are watching this might not even know what a general store is. Yeah, it was
1: just a country store that sold everything from clothing to stamps, gasoline buckets. Yeah, it just was an amazing. Um, pastime and, and stores started evolving and specializing. So any store that sells a product type specifically or one developer becomes a specialty store. So now today it's, it's evolved into this elite conjuring of specialty means ultra high end and very sophisticated like Highland Park Village.
0: Which so and so your pivot into like the true retail happened with, when the uptown boom happened like in the well it,
1: well it really happened when Henry Miller bought Highland Park Village,
0: and so you got to help lease Highland Park Village. Yeah, if so, people don't know this, if I'm wrong, tell me. But I think Highland Park Village was the first open air shopping center in the entire country.
1: Where where all the stores face away from the major streets, really? It's totally inward.
0: Wow, and, and people don't know this too little Dallas history. The, the same people that developed Beverly Hills developed Highland Park. Um, am I right?
1: No, the Prather family, who had some affiliation with Beverly Hills, um, built built it. Hugh Prather actually built it, and he was a local Dallas guy. Highland
0: Park Village, Mm-hmm. but hi, the In actual city of Highland Park wasn't the same people that did Beverly Hills. Oh yeah, yeah. The,
1: the land, you mean the creation of Highland Park, yeah. the city,
0: yeah. Um, which is why Beverly Drive was the thoroughfare like Beverly Hills, etc. That's exactly right. Okay, so the, the evolution of retail. Maybe talk to us about what you look for in trends. People that are watching this, you know, part of selling, even though, you know, Jack, a lot of the retail he does might be a little lease, but you're selling the idea of something. You're selling the idea of something coming in and kind of changing the entire neighborhood. What do you look for when you're trying to go see these trends that are happening right in front of your face that maybe we don't see at the same pace? Well, the,
1: the retailers are really the trendsetters. So it's not – it's not – The real estate guys that discover the the trend, it's the real estate guys that discover the retailers who are getting the trend. So the retailers are the creative specimens here. Like with me, I do a lot of restaurant brokerage, and the restaurateurs are the creative ones. All I do is go out and find them, figure out, the physics of where they go figure out what's in their head well, what, what, what they does that look see? like
0: though i mean what are you looking for that maybe we don't see i mean everyone goes to restaurants and we all are out looking for the next hot thing but you're literally there before people even know about it so what what is the process for you even like i remember a few years back when you brought eataly to dallas which that's a huge undertaking and a huge space that was in the old um birch or what was the the store that was there at north park before
1: oh gosh it was um uh it was like what a was home finish-out store. Yeah, but it was a New York store. It was a New York Junior Department Store, and it was—I'll um, think of it in a second. Yeah.
0: So I mean, so what's the process like for that? What's the discovery process? I mean, you get to go to different restaurants, you go on different well, trips. Well, Eataly
1: was a huge team with CB, and we had, I think, nine people on the team, and it took us two and a half years to find the right location for Eataly, and we looked all over. We went far north. And the Italians said, no, they didn't want to go far north. They wanted to be closer in. We looked at Knox Street. We looked all over the place and just couldn't find the right combination. Yeah. And North Park gave it to us. Wow.
0: Cool. I love which, it. What?
1: Which was remarkable because North Park usually never gave anything. Hmm. I mean, they were very tough landlords. Yeah, and I remember and, it,
0: it opened COVID during COVID, right? And yeah. it's still done unbelievably well. Yeah, it's
1: doing fine.
0: Love it. Cool. Okay, so let, <laughs> let's talk about uh, our city of Dallas. I know this is a podcast where people are watching this all over the world. You're listening to this all over the world. But Dallas, if you're a real estate fan, is a unicorn. It's been the real estate boom town for the last four or five years. There's no end in sight in large part because Dallas can grow all four ways. But I've always been a big fan of real estate uh, revolving around high-end rent, for residential and high-end retail, and so maybe maybe talk about where you think our city is going. Where uptown, you know, even ten years ago was really the only place to go, and then all of a sudden Deep Ellum kind of evolved, and then we have an arts district, a design district, all these different things. So where do you see our city going maybe the next ten years?
1: Well, I think it's going to intensify, and I think it's going to get into a tighter loop. If you notice, um, if you look at a map today, you see Bishop Arts, which is very successful and it's south of town and it's just enough south of town that it's a field trip. You have to be interested to drive down there, get on the freeways, go through the loop, find parking, navigate the city and learn it. All the rest of the close-in areas are contiguous and that really helps because it's easy to bleed right into to Deep Ellum or go into downtown. So it's, it's a natural transition.
0: Where where do you see it going? You think Dallas is going to keep going north? It's going to go south. I mean, what are your predictions? Well, it's
1: going to go north like just rockets. I mean, but it's going to be suburbia. It's going to be divided freeways, and it's going to be a Frisco type development. Now, Frisco is developing extreme densities. Mm -hmm. The new PGA development and all of that is going to make make that area look as dense from the air as downtown. Hmm. So it's it's really developing in a sensational way. Yeah. But I think downtown's got tremendous potential to grow.
0: Downtown in, Dallas. Yeah,
1: you know, in in uh, 2005 there were 300 people living downtown.
0: Literally. Yeah. How many are there now?
1: They were all in the manor
0: house. Right? Oh yeah. And now there's right
1: at fifteen, sixteen oh, thousand, edging up to 16,000. Yeah, back
0: in two thousand five, it was kind of like Gotham City. You went downtown Dallas, and you're like, "What do we do here? Let's just get the heck out because there's nothing to, there's nothing going on." Uh, okay, I want to pivot the conversation. I think something that uh, makes your heart happy is is mentoring, and I think that every time we've spoken about business, one of the things that you love is kind of something I love is just being a part of the next generation's success and. Kind of helping mold them as I hold my um, little uh, clay ball. But, sure. But over the course of your career, you've done this for a few decades. What have you seen uh, that's a common thread between people that are very successful in the world of re- real estate, also the people that haven't made it? How would you go and kind of put them in a bucket and, and, and describe their, their similarities?
1: It's really not one size fits all, and I still can't tell instantly who's going to be yeah. who's going to be there. You start off with each kid just the same way and try and, and see where they want to go, see where their inclination's taking them, and just try and coach them along the way. And it's, it's a, it takes a lot of patience
0: what because
1: you? you just have to keep, keep energizing them, keep them feeling like they're going to do it and they're going to move forward. And sometimes it gets there and sometimes it doesn't.
0: What surprises you?
1: The ones that feel right. And don't develop. Yeah, I, it confounds me, and I I don't know how to get on top of that. But it it's just something that's bound to happen.
0: Have you ever found a common thread between them? It's the same with me. The ones that I sometimes, and maybe it's changed a little bit, but I'm in the business of finding talent. And the ones that I would have put my money on at the beginning, rarely are the ones that are the superstars. Yeah. I, I found for me the common thread between everybody in the world of sales that's killing it is they had something to prove. Right, somebody ah, that, that walked in and they wanted to go and either prove to themselves or to someone else. And if that evolves and they grow, it's going to keep them kind of you know consistent with what they started out for. But they got to go and keep climbing. And the ones that kind of came in that were significantly <laughs> successful prior rarely make it if ever.
1: Do you? I kind of divide sales personalities in my mind to adversarial or conciliatory.
0: And, in both of those words. What, what, what,
1: well, adversarial is head on head. I'm yeah. going to knock this guy down. I'm going to sell this building to him regardless, right? And conciliatory is working to the best ends to get both people satisfied, to to have a positive end on the where on everybody the wins. And not everybody's like that. A lot of people just have to go head on head in a direct sales line. Mm. Now, I'm I'm the second kind. I'm um conciliator and I like it when everybody's at the table. <clears throat> We're able to work things out and get things done. And it sometimes that doesn't work.
0: Yeah. No, so, i I've been there. I I tell people I heard something a few years back from a guy named Zaf Tabani, you know who that is? Yeah. He, um and I remember him sitting me down and uh he's a he's a hotel and retail and Kind of, We didn't really do a lot of stuff together, but i never forget him sitting me down, and he always called me Roger, even though it's Rogers. And he said, Roger, do you know what a great deal is? And I was like, what? He goes, a great deal is a deal that makes you feel great. And I was like, dang. I was like, that's actually – It's, <laughs> it's and pretty I, simple. And I, and I, but I've used that so many times to where I think some people go to war thinking that the only way for this deal to make sense is for somebody to lose. You know, and I think that taking that other approach is very mature. What, what's the advice that you would give to somebody that is newish to real estate for them to have a long, long career of success?
1: I just think having the right information and having the confidence to go into a meeting that you know you're ready, right? And I've been on the other side, all of us have, have been going into meetings where we're not prepared and we don't really know what we're going to sell, and it's a miserable experience. So I tell people to over-prepare to the largest degree that they can.
0: All right. So um, back to our city of Dallas and how we're not a we're a flawed city, and I think that going from 300 residents to 15,000 is great. But I'm sure there's some other stuff that we've done, not we, but the city has done that people might not know about that led to opportunity. But what do you think that a, a kind of a big screw up was in our city's uh, real estate history?
1: Well, one big obvious one that I'm certainly not going to take any time with was um, was integration. Because integration caused white flight out of the city and affluent white residents moved farther north to Preston Hollow and points north. And it left the city without enough population base to support the downtown retail because nobody lived downtown. Hmm. It was an office center, right? So that was one horrific event. It was obviously and,
0: pre-Uptown.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Way. The, Uptown was Oaklawn. Gotcha, right. and the other thing was Woodall Rogers didn't exist, so there wasn't a line of demarcation across downtown to really call it downtown. And thanks to a mayor, Eric Johnson,
0: the mayor had, now.
1: No, Eric. Eric Johnson.
0: There was another years name. Years ago, Eric, yeah, in no
1: 1965. Oh wow! And Eric Johnson foresaw that that right away was there for Woodall Rogers, and he. Orchestrated it being engineered to dip down so it could be decked at some point in the future.
0: Wow! Amazing. Well, what about other? What other screw ups have we seen in our city? Well,
1: the other one was we we had this planner from Toronto named Vincent Ponte, and he looked like Elvis Costello. He had horn rim glasses and was brilliant. He was from Toronto and he had designed the tunnel system in Toronto. And he came down and sold it to us, and we bought it like lemmings. <laughs> I mean, we were, we were hooked. And he, he said, you connect all the buildings downtown with tunnel systems, and that way nobody has to go out in this dreadful heat you all have, and it'll, it'll change your city. The other thing he did was he wanted to get people in and out of town fast, so he made all the streets one way, one way out and one way in, right? so it completely bespoiled circulation downtown what? one time i did a study that if if a shopper passed by neiman's on commerce and wanted to circle back to get back to the door of neiman's on commerce they had to go 11 blocks because of the one-way streets wow so it it was killing our city so what happened in the in the long haul was um Ponti sold the city on all this they made all the developers hook their buildings together underground and as a consequence all the buildings that were built in the early 80s and late 70s had these huge informal lobbies at street grade so they weren't interesting to anybody they were like mausoleums just these big huge spaces so this I
0: thought this was like in the 40s so this happened in the no, 80s oh
1: hell yeah oh wow and there were shopping centers underground,
0: right? They're still there?
1: No. Fortunately, we've attacked them and been able to break the tunnels and get people back up in the air. But there was one guy named Bud Oglesby who was a famous residential yeah. architect. And Bud, in the middle of these 4,000 men, and I'd been in Dallas for 15 minutes, I didn't know who was right or who was wrong then. He said, This is a terrible idea. You're stripping the streets of humanity. And within three years after the tunnels opened, every single street front retailer in downtown Dallas had pulled, had closed, department stores, Sanger, Harris, Tych's, all Mm. of them pulled out. And nothing was left but Neiman's. And if Neiman's had ever pulled, we'd be toast. We wouldn't be having this
0: conversation. Well, let's stay on the theme of failures, and let's talk about maybe something in your life that it was a moment where you got humbled, or maybe you kind of pivoted a little bit, but was there ever any kind of shiny moment that you can look back in your story career where you're like, oh, God, I learned a lot from that, and this is what I learned from it? Did you ever have something like that happen?
1: Yeah, probably the SNL crisis was the most profound thing that happened to me, and it was everything went dead, and it was really phenomenal. It was was uncanny, and you just sit in your office waiting for the phone to ring. And nothing happened because all the property got foreclosed on and taken into the RTC, which was way up here. And the government wasn't releasing any of it. So there were no transactions, nothing. And I figured, you know, people have to eat. And so I started brokering restaurants and started out with Alberto Lombardi was my first – real restaurant client and Shannon Wynn and a lot well, maybe, of people. Maybe
0: people that don't know who these people are. Yeah, like
1: All local Dallas legends now in the restaurant I mean Restaurants
0: business. like Panay Pomodoro, like Madison Moth. Shannon Wynn, wasn't he Hard Rock Cafe also? Oh,
1: he had all kinds. And they all ended with O on the first round. Tango and all kinds of different oh, cool. restaurants. A lot of those went under during the the, the crisis though. That was a profound crisis. But if I hadn't started brokering restaurant companies, I wouldn't have survived. My so, family wouldn't have.
0: So what's your suggestion? I mean, there's more real estate people now than ever before. A city like Dallas, you know how many agents are actually in Dallas proper? No, don't T- depress Take me. a guess.
1: Um, oh, gosh. I don't know, 500,000. That's
0: a great, I mean, 80,000, which, that's still crazy. Just south <laughs> of 635, there's 80,000 people, which means statistically in our city, a real estate city, one in every three and a half people, has their real estate license, right? I think this is a very competitive time, but if things get a different kind of hard, what's your what's your advice? How do people actually fight through it and go I and, and make like a living? think it's like
1: thinking about profound things like death and things like that that you have to consider. Yeah. Like uh, somebody once told me, think about your parents dying. Don't dwell on it, but just think every now and then. And when it happens, it'll be less traumatic for you. And that made good sense to me. But I think it's the same way with with commercial disasters and with hard times. If you just think that there's a possibility out there, it doesn't make you morbid. But you have to keep considering that that could happen. It's Things reality. could turn upside down hard. Yeah, And I, sometimes they do.
0: I found that you, you, right now, it's, I think right now it is really hard to make a great living in real estate because there's so many people doing it. But I started my company in '06, and then two years into it, all hell broke loose and it was kind of the most fun I ever had because I was like, dang, I was like, I'm making a living right now paying my bills. That means I must be great at what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. then, you know, obviously kind of time time changed. But what what about from a routine perspective? I think that one of my biggest struggles is balance and getting married, having kids and stuff. It's really hard for me to be present because I just get into this mentality of working and having to always be kind of showing up and, and grinding. But how, how do you go and actually create a balance between being a family man and being, you know, Jack the business guy.
1: Well, I I've always paid close attention to business, but I've never missed a sports or athletic thing or theater presentation or dance recital or anything that my kids were in. And I think that's that keeps you anchored. I think otherwise you get absorbed in in the work life and it kind of takes you over. Yeah. I don't think there's anything positive about that.
0: So it sounds like pretty black and white just being intentional and putting perspective at the forefront, which is great. It's just I think that's kind of hard. What what about sure. um, challenges that you face like as an investor or as someone who, you know, you didn't start when the social media, you know, game was out there and stuff like YouTube and Instagram and all these different things. How have you stayed relevant but also how have you dealt with the challenges?
1: Well, I try to I try to keep my presence on those kinds of things as limited as possible, for everybody else's benefit too. Yeah. But I mean, I I think they really are disarming. I think they present an unreal picture to people of what life is really like. You know, you see all these glamorous shots and all these fantastic vacations and all yeah. the fabulous clothes by the influencers. I think there's a real negative impulse. With social media, to some extent, yeah. And I realize we've got to have it. And I realize it's not going to do anything except get more prevalent.
0: Yeah, but How, what's been your approach, though? How have you kind of just realized that? All right, you got like for me uh, with real estate and, and agents. I, there's a lot of agents that get into the game. And think they can go post on social media, and all of a sudden they're going to become successful. And I have to learn how to not tell them that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I have to still deal with it because every once in a while someone actually hits pay dirt, and, and it makes sense. But I still have to go and study it to make sure I'm, you know, relatable enough. But I still kind of do my thing, and it works. But
1: well, yours is amazingly. I, I look at your pages all the time because they're interesting, they're thoughtful, they're well well positioned. But I mean, just most of the stuff. It's pretty insipid.
0: It's awful. Yeah, it's awful. But it's we're getting dominated more and more every day that you know goes by. There's more people that are doing that, and eventually they're gonna find a way to win. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. All right. So so back to Jack the mentor, or, or maybe Jack the mentee. You were people that don't know who Henry S. Miller is, or Henry the Miller family. Um, they're icons in Dallas real estate. They're what Jack was before Jack was uh, uh, Jack, much and
1: much much more accomplished than I'll ever be. But the when I first moved to Dallas, thanks to my affiliation with Henry, I got invited to different dinner parties and that sort of thing. And One night I was invited to a party and I was single then and I just sat down at the my name tag and sat down next to Edward Marcus, who was uh, Stanley Marcus's brother, Neiman and, Marcus. and yeah. Yeah. he never initiated a comment about himself, who he was, what he did, he asked me questions. His whole his whole focus was on finding out what I was about and what I was interested in and where I wanted to go. And that so impressed me that when I met Stanley several years later and actually went on a wild trip with Stanley uh, to San Francisco with him. He was the same way. He didn't want to talk about his story, his books, anything else. He wanted to talk about you. And it meant whoever was around him, yeah. he wanted to know what do you think about things? Where are you coming from? And that's always really impressed me.
0: Yeah, there's something that comes to mind. My dad always tells me be interested and not interesting. Right. You know, and I think it also keeps them guessing, even if it's strategic or not. I think that you know, I I like to disarm people by I never ever talk about myself other than, you know, bare minimum. You know, and I'm just I'm in real estate. That's it. And then you know, eventually it, it comes back around, but also it keeps you humble. I think. You know. Yeah, I think, I think
1: so too. And I think you learn a lot more.
0: Yeah. Well, than you let, ever did. Stay, staying on the advice topic, I think that you know, again, back to the mentoring part and how you've been. You know, I, I remember one of the first times I heard your name. I forget the girl's name, but she was. She said, "I'm, I'm in." She came to my old ranch. I go, "I'm in real estate." She goes, "Oh, well, I named my son Jack after Jack Osnell." What was her name? <laughs> that light just fell. Is that okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there was there was a girl that literally. I mean, her she named her son after you because she used to work for you. Um, you remember who this was?
1: Oh well, I, I've had the same assistant for forty. 40- Forty-three years. It wasn't her. And it was her daughter.
0: Oh, okay. Well, fair had enough. Had a son named Jack. Yeah. So, but I'm saying, obviously, your impression is is widely felt by people that aren't even in real estate. But well,
1: they're just they're terrific. I mean, they're like family with
0: yeah. us. Yeah. So, so what, what's the <laughs> advice? What do you give? What do you give a young Jack or a, a mature Jack? If if you're going to give one piece of wisdom to somebody who's watching this, what is it?
1: Oh, the best. My father said to me always. When I'd go to him and ask advice and say, what, do you, what should I do? He'd say, Until you absolutely in your gut know what you should do, don't do anything.
0: We had a guy this morning. It's really been right. We had a guy that I met with. We did this a little while ago, and he said, The best advice, you're not going to like this, but never invest in yourself. And I was like, What? <laughs> he goes, Never invest in yourself. I was like, No, it's kind of true. But yeah, I like that. If you don't know what to do, do nothing. Um, might be easier said than done. Um, okay, I th- we've literally hit on everything. I want to make sure that um, what what questions would you want to be asked where people can go and learn more from you? And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just making sure I'm knocking all of these out. Am I any that I've forgotten in your mind?
1: One thing that was really interesting, and it's not as much an answer to a question as it is a comment on downtown development. It all of the buildings, most of the buildings downtown, were older buildings that were being repurposed now for new development. And they kept failing. I kept putting buildings downtown under contract with substantial companies here in town, and they couldn't get them to make sense. And I started reading ULI studies and and the Urban Land Institute studies and found that the name Forest City kept coming up. Forest? Forest City. Huh. It used to be a lumber company in Cleveland, Ohio, that started developing, redeveloping historic buildings all over the country. They took, a, they took a, a building in Times Square, a masonry building five stories tall, put it on a railroad, and moved it 100 feet to make Times Square make more sense. Right, they're they're just they they just have that in them, and they also know how to milk municipalities for money. They go to the state, they go to historical, uh, you know, investors. And I the mercantile I had under contract three separate times, and nobody could close it. And I called Forest City, and had him fly down, and it took me two years to get him to come to Dallas, huh. and he came to Dallas and. He liked the building, this little guy, David Levy, who lives here now, lives yeah. in town. And he um, I didn't. He said, what else have you got? And I said, well, nothing so far. I just brought you here to see the mercantile. And he said, well, okay, I'm on that. But what else have you got? And I said, I don't have anything. But I had Laura Miller, who was the mayor, mayor. of Dallas yeah. She was the daughter of the president of Neiman Marcus.
0: Laura Miller? Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: I didn't know that. And so I... Took him to see Laura, and Laura came out in Chanel, looked like a million bucks, and David just, you know, was kismet. And he, she said, How do you like our fair city? And he said, How do I like it? It's like a goddamn Fellini movie. There's no people in it. <laughs> and they started laughing, and he bought the Mercantile and redeveloped the Mercantile.
0: Wow, no way. Um, when was Laura Mayer Miller? Like the late 90s? Probably. Yeah. yeah. I remember that was right when I was old About enough to I was watching when the Cowboys stadium thing was supposed to happen and there was chances of it being in the Cotton Bowl and then and
1: she took the fall for
0: it. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't
1: ever have passed. Really? The minorities on council were going to kill it. Yeah. And and I don't blame them. Yeah. They they had other, other uses for the money. Hmm. And now we're out trying to find another NFL franchise. I know, you saw that with them. I don't oh know if y'all saw that. The
0: mayor is Holy trying to bring mackerel. another football team here, That's which, what we need. That'll never ever happen ever in Dallas. It's a Cowboys town. Okay, so um, what about whenever people get tempted, when people start making money and they start getting significance? What's your suggestion to them to maintain true to their roots, to not be a sellout?
1: Well, I think you just got to remember where you came from. I I'm always stunned. There's not, and I mean this tr- truthfully. Do you? There's not. A day that passes, that I don't feel like I've, in some way, wasted my life.
0: Do you feel like you have wasted your life?
1: How? Well, I mean, I just think of what others have done and what others have accomplished, and what I've done, and it's just minuscule. And I just think, and it's not that I'm I'm not suicidal this week, but it's like it just makes me think. All we are is who we are. Yeah, and we're only as good as our integrity, right? And so, I I'm okay with that.
0: You've done more than most people ever will do, and you're leaving Uh, a lot.
1: You say that, but you know what? I think everybody does that who does it in the
0: right spirit. uh, Yeah, but most of them don't do it in the right spirit. And again, that's why that's why we decided to do this. Is that I think some people get tempted or influenced, and again, social media is is bad in this sense, but they get influenced by people that don't have core values and they don't have a good upbringing. And I think that a lot of this is to blame on the people that were their parents or their parental figures. And so, again, just hearing that might change somebody's trajectory, literally. Well, I'm
1: not going anywhere this right away. Yeah, hopefully hopefully
0: (laughs) not. Um, Well, you all get to see why Jack is one of my heroes now, and you get to see why this is somebody I've looked up to. And in the world of real estate, Jack has been the guy that I've always – emulated, um, whether it's his his incredible style, his great head of hair, (laughs) uh, his love for music, his actual (laughs) impeccable music taste, but really just the way that he lives his life with intention, with integrity, with priority. But when Jack is there, he's there. And I think that's really, really cool where we live in a world where technology or phones or watches, everything is going to distract us, but he's he's, uh, overly present. And I think that's a gift that um, not many people get to receive, so I'm grateful for your time today. I'm grateful for you it's an honor. sharing your heart and, and your story, and um, yeah, I, I think we'll just leave it with the fact that we all could be a little bit more um, like Jack, so thank you for, for being here today. you help you. Thank you, all for, <laughs> thank you all for watching this, and um, stay tuned for more, but ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jack Gosnell. So long.
1: Hi, I'm Jack Gosnell. That's how you sell without selling out. Rogers that.